This is such a cool state. I mean, come on, live free or die. You're the state where the shot was heard around the world. That last Senate I don't know if you're aware you're in New Hampshire. People in New Hampshire don't care about money. You can't buy a vote in New Hampshire. They want to see you, they want to touch you. I would like to do small groups, but if we announce that I'm coming to like a restaurant, all of a sudden there's, you know, a thousand people show up. His imagination must not be married to real power. Why not? You just don't want to see us fall backwards. You go to New Hampshire, there are not any minorities there and nobody lives there. Liar! Thank you, New Hampshire. And now, from the campus of St. Anselm College in Manchester, New Hampshire, the existential flagship of presidential primary activity, your host, the executive director of the New Hampshire Institute of Politics, Neil Levesque, and because every ship needs a rusty anchor, Josh McKelvin. New Hampshire Live starts now. Welcome back to New Hampshire Live. This is Neil Levesque here at the New Hampshire Institute of Politics with my co-host, Josh McKelvin. How are you? Josh? How's everything? Everything's good. Raining out there today. We've got five candidates in town today. Let's take a break from the candidates. Well, I think we have have a great guest today. So I know that a lot of people are listening to this podcast because they want to know what's really going on in New Hampshire. Uh, Particularly, we have now, I think it's 24, depends on where you make the cutoff, 24 different candidates. Um, And they're all Democrats. Uh, There's one Republican running. Um, but in such a crowded Democratic field, I think it's good to get somebody... Who's the who, Republican? Well, well, then that makes two. Unless Donald oh, yeah, that's right, that's right. Are we going to introduce our guest? <laughs> All right, so our guest today is an outstanding, uh, long-time Democratic activist here in New Hampshire, but also somebody who's been running campaigns. Um, Karen Hicks is here today. She's the CEO of Civic Strategy Group. It's a consulting firm. Um, but a lot of people here in New Hampshire know her from her background working for Governor Jean Shaheen in the health care policy. Uh, you worked directly for Howard Dean nationally, uh, John Kerry nationally. Uh, you were a senior advisor to Hillary Clinton uh, in 2008. You have a great, great pedigree here with the Democratic Party, and I think it'd be great to learn a little bit about um, what you think is going on here in New Hampshire with so many candidates and and what you see for the future. Welcome, Karen. Welcome. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be How here. How did you like that morning. three minutes before know, we got to you? Exactly. It's amazing. <laughs> well, I might. I, I wanted to come here and announce that I, too, am testing the waters, thinking of getting in. We're calling you 25. The more, the merrier. Exactly. Right. <laughs> uh, that's right. So uh, it's, it's a circus here on the ground. Uh, lots and lots going on every weekend. There's five, six, seven people in town making their case. We've gone back to more of the traditional primary with this, with lots of smaller events rather than big rallies. But they're Um, filled up. They're filled up. There's an unbelievable level of interest and curiosity. So people are coming out of the woodworks earlier than before to kick the tires on the two dozen. I'm glad you pointed this out because there's a perception out there. Some believe that it's more of a faux primary, that they're flying into New Hampshire. Maybe some of the candidates are for that photo op. In New Hampshire, one trip, but there are some real grassroots I events taking that. place. I, I think that there's a ton of grassroots Thank events you. taking place. And, you know, for the last two contests up here, they've been, you know, the uh, in 08 with Senator Clinton and uh, Senator Obama. Those really, those events got very big fast and lost some of the intimacy of the primary. And then the last one I think did as well. And so now we're back to smaller events where people get to meet 
the candidates personally shake their hand one, two, three times if you have given up your full-time job. And you've been become, doing that. You've well, been I've been meeting a lot of them. You were the first them. person to meet with Beto O'Rourke when he came into New Hampshire. Yes. Well, I don't know if I was the first person, but among the first crew that sat down with him. And you've been going to quite a few events, talking to activists. Um, making the rounds. Making yep. the rounds, as any good New Hampshire citizen would. Well, what are you thinking about when you look at this field? And is there anyone that kind of aligns with what motivates you and what's, what gets you going in the morning? Well, I think in the folks that I'm talking to, everybody is clear that our number one job is to beat Trump. And it, it, he is an existential threat to so many of the things that we uh, think are important in the country. And so people are unified around that. And that's where it falls apart. I mean, for Karen Hicks, when you for, look at for the me, yeah. for me, I'm with most of, of the people that I think the most important thing is who can beat him. Sure. But it feels a little like you are picking out appliances in a house that's not yet built, and you, you know, are there's ten to fifteen days in between when you're shopping for a washer dryer and a in a refrigerator and a dishwasher. So, I right, now now we have to start. Like Sears deliver on them. Who's the, who's the refrigerator? Who's the dishwasher? No, it's just, you know, you're like, I don't even know the space that this is going to fit in. I like this refrigerator, but do I really need all of this right. freezer space, right? So Because isn't beating Trump really subjective? It is. And, yeah. and more than ever, you know, the smartest people that I talk to in politics admit privately, if, if not on a podcast like this, that they have no idea what the right way to go about beating him is. And so... There's a bunch of different cases that you could make that it is about exciting the base and really having uh, African-Americans turn out in record numbers. And that's what Senator Booker is saying. And, and um, you know, part of what uh, Senator Harris is saying is that they are uh, well positioned to excite people, uh, bring them into the fold. Mayor Pete also saying that I'm going to excite people and, and bring them back in. Versus somebody who says, I'm not, there's no way that you could put the socialism label on me, and I am a good choice for middle America, middle of the road. And so I think there's, it's, it's remains to be seen what the best strategy is going to be. And so we're in the middle of a big debate in, in the Democratic side about the best way to take on this, this guy who is unpredictable and a, and a bully. And he does really box people in very, very well. I mean, when he talks about, Somebody and he makes a cracking joke about them. Yeah, actually, he's putting them right into a box. He's a master. And he did framer. that. He did that with uh, with the climate change, Green New Deal. You know, with the solar power. You know, joke. All right. So, just moving out of the policy area for a moment, I got to ask you: the, when we talk about disqualifiers these days, there really are none. And by what I what I mean by disqualifiers is, I mean you know, with Howard Dean. What was everyone thinks was the end of his campaign? He, you must look back at that in two thousand three with his, with the with the scream or the yell and think, "Are you kidding me?" And now people are saying this and get away with this, and we have a president that's done all of this, and no one seems to care. Well, there's there's nobody's been disqualified because there's not been a single vote cast, and so when you're looking at shape, you know, assessing the horse race right now, there's fundraising which is real and can be counted. Uh, the the usual things that you would look at on the ground for uh, measuring momentum and assessing how these these can candidates and campaigns are doing are really not you know the development of the campaigns is pretty arrested and so this is things are taking longer and so uh, people feel like they're in no hurry to make up their mind um, I think at this point 
in 03, when we thought we had a big field with seven or eight candidates, right. uh, we had all the campaigns were signing elected officials up, activists, you know, you'd roll out a list of 100 of this, 25 of that. That is not happening now. And so I think people are taking a long time. I think that they will be disqualified at some point. I guess what I was was, was the behavior. The, the point, the behavior. Yeah, you can. There's nothing that you can't say. Well, you Trump set the standard by saying I could walk down Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody. Yeah, and, and that was one of the more benign still, things that you said at this point. <laughs> but, people would still love me, yeah. and and you know, I don't. I think that people will make up their mind and decide who's going to be a serious. Is it troubling to you though? I mean, that uh, having gone through, you've been around a while, not too long, but. Long enough to have slamming me. Seed contract. Just not, 50 that was a gentle that, slam. Right? That was a roundabout. Yeah, right, you know right. what I'm talking about. Yes. No, seriously. I mean, it's <laughs> oh, the podcast. Just tap face. Too bad you can't see it. Yeah. Um, no, I mean the things like Mitt Romney. What did he say? Forty-seven percent of on the take. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, his corporations father, are people. His father said that was he was it. brainwashed yeah. when he went to Vietnam by the generals, and he had to drop out of a race that he was already had poured millions of dollars in. I mean, that's kind of really where it started. But what does it say to you about this electorate that doesn't seem to mind or care or they just had enough of something? Well, I don't know that you can say they don't mind or care because I think that um, people haven't, they're not signing up. And so there's, it's, it's hard to say who's where. Uh, I think that, you know, Elizabeth Warren's a good example. And so she had a terrible rollout of her campaign. Um, and uh, has been reintroducing herself in a way that I think is worth watching. She's she's putting together, she's got a very good team on the ground. She's putting together a methodical approach to organizing her way to victory, which, you know, what are we going to have turn out in this election? 300,000? And so if you're, if you're in striking distance of 20 or 30 percent, it's a number that you can organize your way to. So I think that we don't have enough information to say who has or has not been disqualified because it's hard to assess the race. So I think that, you know, the criteria around who's on the debate stage is, you know, right now we have Senator Bennett who hasn't qualified because he just got in. But I think Gillibrand too, I think. Williamson, no, she's in. Um, Williamson is not is on the stage. And so I think that um, the institutions drawing a line or the media drawing a line in a bar uh, around who's over, who's under is, has not been effective in narrowing the field. So speaking of Warren though, you know, you get into this situation where it's almost like socialism now. And Trump talks about this is sort of the mainstream of some of these candidates and what they're talking about. It's almost like everything goes. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I mean, yeah, what right? are you talking about? He, that, that, you know is, talking about. Bernie that is Bernie, Bernie Sanders. It's a narrative that's being developed. I'll we'll tell you that most of the candidates have sort of developed his philosophy on many different issues. No, 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 no. That, no, 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 no. That is not right. Right. Most of these candidates are talking about issues that matter in a day-to-day way. So when you look at what's happening with families in New Hampshire and around the country. Uh, the the economy is not working for them, right? So despite the big indicators about how strong the economy is and how well the stock market has taken taken off, um, 
50% of people can't afford a $400 expense. When you go up to $700, it's 70% of people. There's a huge amount of anxiety. And so if you're watching what's happening on the stump and what people are talking about, they're talking about healthcare, they're talking about the ideas for getting this economy to work with them, the ideas for combating climate change, which is an existential threat. So the framing on the other side about socialism, you know, I don't, it doesn't bear out when you have, when you hear what the candidates are saying. They're talking about kitchen table issues and there are some cringe-worthy moments. You got to concede that to Neil's point, to where they can hold on to. Whether we're talking about the phrase "open borders" and things along those lines, things that can be construed free college, uh, single payer, that falls under the category, at least the New Zealand category of socialism. And then that's being taken into the political narrative. Would you agree to that? I think that we are at a crisis for so many families who are struggling to put it together. So when you talk about somebody shelling out $2,000 a month for child care and Elizabeth Warren's ideas about subsidizing child care for working families is attractive. Do people care if it's labeled as socialism? I think if you can... I guess that's my point. Do people care like they used to about that word? Yeah, it's a scary thing. You know, I, I... You know... When you and I first were working in the state house, if you said the word socialism, socialism, you know, you'd probably be put in jail. Right. Well, I think that this capitalism has been so contorted for most families, and the gains or lack thereof for middle class families has gotten to a breaking point, right? That they are looking for solutions that, you know, I just read this morning that credit card debt is back at the highest level since, you know, uh, 10 or 12 after the financial crash. Middle-class families have not seen any gains. And so I think that that creates a desperation for these solutions. The other thing, frankly, you know, I am an incrementalist. I think the best policy is done when you build on what works and you extend it over time. But our political system in the polarization has really made that virtually impossible. And yeah. so it, it whets the appetite for more sweeping change. And I think a lot of the candidates are finding um, a supportive audience when they talk about bolder reforms. And I do want to give credit to, um, you know, I think Bernie Sanders opened up the conversation on that, and so it, it broadened it. But there's a real reckoning within the Democratic Party about the best way forward and what's going to be relevant for most people. And it's tied to their path to victory. And so if you think I'm going to win everything that Hillary Clinton did, but I'm going to go win Ohio, as Sherrod Brown talked about when he was thinking about running, I'm going to, you know, Amy Klobuchar is making the case that I'm going to win in the middle of the country. Um, Other candidates are saying I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to win Pennsylvania. I'm going to win Florida. I'm going to win Arizona. And that's a different strategy there. And I don't think we've landed on, on what the best path is. You know, uh, you talked about the fact that it's still early and, you know, a lot of people haven't signed up with one candidate or the other, but we have seen sort of a strange situation with so many candidates. All of a sudden, Buttigieg, who, by the way, did our podcast the day that he flew to do the CNN town hall, to which well, all... Congratulations the, the to whole him. Mountain well, no, to him. He skyrocketed the poll. He went skyrocketing. We think it's our podcast. At the time on the podcast, I could not pronounce his last name. Um, but now everybody can. Um, but here he is, you know, coming out of, you know, 
a, a very crowded field mm -hmm. coming into two, you know, second place, potentially even, you know, third place in here in New Hampshire anyway. Um, what do you make of that? Well, I think that people are really look. So, you know, f the first candidate that I saw was Cory Booker and he came to a house party in my neighborhood and I, uh, felt like weeping when I saw him because all of a sudden after two years of watching a president that doesn't represent me, my values, like no telling what crazy thing is going to come out of his mouth and the, the harm that he's done. So seeing Booker, I was like, ah, you know, somebody who can string a sentence together coherently, somebody who's speaking to my values and somebody who has optimism about how we're going to get out of this. And so I think for a lot of Democrats, whoever they're seeing that is striking those notes, um, they're, they're relieved. And, you know, we like a good outside challenger that surprises us. And uh, that's happened time and again in each of these primaries. You know, generally speaking, it, it, it sort of evens out at some point. I think that the, if you look at what happens to the Republicans in their last primary... Everybody had their 15 minutes in the sun. And so Carson was winning at some point. Yeah, oh, everybody spiked at one. And Carly Fiorina. You know, they all went through their three, four, five weeks of, of looking like they were the head of the pack before people moved on. And so I don't know if he has staying power or not, but anybody who's, who's breaking through and getting in that top tier ought to be congratulated uh, for consideration and, and giving people a hard look. And he's a certain age, it certainly it gives him a, a bright future, if not in this cycle. Yeah, but he's let's smart. Be, let's yeah. talk about the Mueller thing, though. I yeah. mean, as a strategist, do you hold any concern that this drumbeat is on a horse that's long since passed, and that could wind up being kind of productive? The drumbeat around Mueller? About Russia and the Mueller report and the collusion. I don't, I don't and hear Instead a ton. of the issues that you've been talking about in this podcast. You over. go to these events, and we're not hearing much at all. People ask about impeachment. People ask about the investigations. And so I they don't... They do ask. Yeah, the activists will ask. I don't think it's on the minds of voters. I think what's on the minds of voters is... You know, what am I going to do about my rising? To my point, premium? I mean, yeah. is that a problem? Look, that, I think the Congress has uh, an oversight responsibility. There are, you know, I don't know what the latest number of indictments are, but we have a lot of evidence of crimes being committed, and it is their responsibility to investigate those and hold this president accountable, as well as protect our elections. That's one of the things that I'm really worried about, is that we haven't done anything to shore up our election systems after the... Russians launched an unbelievably aggressive attack on our election. And in fact, we're seeing the president's folks invite other people in to play a nefarious role. And so I think that they have a responsibility to to hold him accountable, and they're going to do that. So you don't I think, think it's we, gone too far yet? I think we can walk and shoot. No, it hasn't gone too far yet, for God's sakes. I well, mean, how far do you think it should go? We well, I think that investigate him and hold him, hold him accountable, and I think we ought to see the unredacted report and look at the underlying evidence, and people should have to answer for... Um, for their deeds. And so I think we can walk and chew gum at the same time. And I'm not worried about it derailing it. I have a lot of faith in Nancy Pelosi as a leader. And she's hard-nosed and will will both meet the American public where they are on the issues that matter to them as well as hold this president accountable. So I'm not that worried about it. All right. So I know there's a long way to go. But let's just say, for the sake of the fun portion of this program, that you're moving into your house tomorrow. 
Which refrigerator is going to be yours for the next Is there an years? older refrigerator that's been on the ballot before? Maybe <laughs> that's vice president that you want to opine about? I mean, it's interesting that Biden, contrary to most people saying his best day is his first day, he's actually gone up. He's been pretty successful so far. I could, you know, the other day I saw Bill Weld on something and I could get excited about him if I thought he could really take Trump out. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> I good answer. I I am gonna look at them all. I'm really interested in the the women in the field. I think that they have not gotten the attention that they need. Um, and and you know people have drawn sort of the crazy conclusion that a woman can't win because Hillary Clinton. Didn't what do you mean win. by that? What do you mean they haven't gotten the attention? Do you they the media? The, attention. Maybe the media I mean, is kind of. Yeah, I think they've gotten stiffed by it, and the media is very focused on the shiny candidates, and so. You know, you have uh, uh, Beto and Buddha Judge is sort of in the fresh face category, but somehow Gillibrand is not in the fresh face category. Yeah, I can't explain that one. The U.S. senators, so, the U.S. senators. We talked about this in the program. We don't done. It's been subdued compared yeah. to where you think they well, would be being in the yeah, U.S. Senate. Well, I mean, the Senate is the place where they all get out of bed, get their get their outfit on for the day, look in the mirror, and say. Good morning, Mrs. President. Right. Good morning, Mr. President. <laughs> Every single one of them. And so, so, if you were, if you were going to, if you, if you, right now, you, you're going to drive across the country with Obama. Drive, drink, you can't just have a beer. Drink now you're going to drive across the country. That's a commitment, right there. That's more. Or than have a beer with one. That's a different answer, right? Yeah, it is a different answer, and I think we need to get away Once from that answer. Once you get too many beers, and then the next thing you know, you find yourself driving across the country <laughs> with a refrigerator there. in the back. <laughs> Cold storage. <laughs> I we, we do have some cold storage that I'd like to put a few, a few of them in. No. There you go. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm I want to go see Senator Harris again. I'm really interested in her. I want to see Elizabeth Warren again. I'm interested in her. I really like Cory Booker, um, and I, uh, you know, I think in many ways I have a developmental approach because I think. Uh, Who's ready out there to, to be president? I don't think hardly any of them are ready. I mean, there's some of them that could step in easier than others, but I think this whole campaign is a question of who develops and meets the moment and who's ready when a moment uh, presents itself, either because this president has created a national security crisis, the financial system, you know, similar to what happened um, in the McCain uh, Obama race where the bottom fell out of the economy. There's going to be some moments, and the question is who's going to rise up and really distinguish themselves yeah. and make it more than a moment, Built, have built a campaign that allows them to really capitalize on that. And so I am still just watching and, and squinting at it and getting a gestalt of, of, of what's happening. Gestalt. I'm going to have to Google that. Yeah, <laughs> By the way, on the intellectual side We're of things. We're almost done. We're wrap, wrapping up on the time, though. Just because. You know, on the intellectual side of things, I, um, if I were asked who I'd have a beer with, it would be, of course, Donald Trump. Because he doesn't drink. It would right. be like that he scene in beers. Elf where he was in the mailroom. I love you, man. <laughs> no, Cory Booker. I, you know, he's, he's great. Regardless of anything about his politics, he's just cool. Yeah. Well, like Brand is also fun, right? Yeah. She is really funny. She is smart and sharp and tough. Uh, and so I think there's, you know, I like the field. And I got to say that there's, there's, I feel proud to be a Democrat. And I like the energy. I like the ideas that are coming forward. We're, we're demonstrating our open-mindedness. And it's going to be a competition of who's got the best staying power, who's the best organizer, and who's going to be best to take it to Donald Trump. 
Well, that's the quote of the day. I like the field. Karen Hicks, thank there you very go. much for being on this so week. You're looking at Bill Well. That's the <laughs> way. All right. Thanks for being on this week. Great to and talk to you. Glad to be here. See, I told you it'd be fun. There you go. See you.